the J Talk podcast. Yes, 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 yes. Hello and welcome to the J Talk podcast. Ben Maxwell and Sam Robson with you. And Sam, we reached the halfway point of the top flight season over the weekend. Uh, the match day certainly got off to a rip roaring start on Saturday. And uh, well, Sunday had a hard act to live up to, didn't it? Yeah, I don't really think it did, to be honest. <laughs> we kind of fizzled out a little bit the, the game week, but yeah, the first game, unbelievable game between Marinos and Raysol. And yeah, generally some decent fixtures across the weekend, but yeah, it's really all that about that first game. Absolutely. So the game at the Nissan Stadium, it kicked off the match day on uh, Saturday afternoon. Uh, Yokohama F. Marinos hosting Kashiwa Raysol. So at the end of the day and at the end of the match day, we have new leaders at the halfway point, F. Marinos, and there was more pain and late heartbreak for Kashiwa. Of course, we led off the episode last week with their uh, 5-4 thrilling loss at home to Sapporo. And, uh, well, Sam, it was just more, more of the same. Uh, they keep finding uh, more new and creative ways to lose games in heartbreaking fashion. Yeah, they did. They went through the mill last weekend. They thought midweek, a very good victory, obviously against university team, but seven goals there. So it looked they definitely figured out a way to score goals. But yeah, this was a completely devastating. The, the manner in which they lost this game from being 3-2 up in the 94th minute, I think it was, to losing 4-3 is just pretty cruel. And uh, they played really well. I thought they were the better team. And yeah, this is a, a really tough one for them to take. Absolutely. So, yeah, uh, controversial pretty much throughout, beginning from the uh, the incident that led to the opening goal, Sam, when uh, Elbert was fouled, or was he, uh, on the edge of the box by, uh, well, one of your whipping boys, who I think is certainly going to be under the microscope later on, uh, Hugo Tatsuta. Um, I think uh, even the F Marino supporters in the line group might have been giving Tatsuta the benefit of the doubt in the 11th or 12th minute, Sam. But unfortunately for him, uh, the referee and VAR did not concur and it ended up with Anderson Lopez firing in a penalty in the 13th minute to give F Marino's the lead. Yeah, he doesn't do himself too many favours. As Elbert checks back, he just dives in. There's no need to dive in. And there is, like, minimal contact. So you can understand why the referee has given it. I don't think there's enough to overturn that decision on VAR, but it is a harsh one. There's very little there to take Elbert down. But once you dive in in that manner, I think you give the referee a decision. And, uh, yeah, I almost think for that kind of poor quality of defending he deserved to be punished it was uh, really poor from Tatsu unfortunately and uh, Elbert took full advantage of it it is a little bit harsh but yeah I just think it's stupid defending yeah and uh, well as I said yeah he, we're going to be talking a lot more about Tatsuta uh, later on in this game uh, Kashi was a creative uh, talisman uh, Mateus Savio hit the post from distance in the 35th minute and then uh, four minutes later, he saw his cross with the outside of his right foot volleyed into his own net by Eduardo for an own goal. So Raisel got back onto level terms, Sam, but uh, 18 seconds after they kicked off, uh, F. Marinos went back in front. Eduardo making amends with a long ball over the top that was controlled sublimely on the run by El Burr, who finished past Kenta Matsumoto. So, uh, yeah, I guess in a similar vein to last week's thriller against Sapporo, um, yeah, you blink and you miss something. And in this case, it was uh, race all equalising, but then falling behind again almost immediately. 
Yeah, best and the worst of Ray Sol inside a couple of minutes. I thought Savio had, had a very good game, especially in that first half. I think it was very difficult for anyone to really get to grips with him. He was constantly moving across the line. Nobody really was able to pick him up, and uh, it was a good ball in. Eduardo doesn't get his feet sorted out, so not really in the right position. He, like Hatanaka, like Ichimori, had a terrible first half, really, and in general, uh, struggled throughout the game. They were high-pressed by Raysol. They put them under a lot of pressure, and Yokohama just, they were trying to pass out from the back, but they weren't doing those passes with any conviction, so it gave Raysol yeah, a way into the game, and that they fully deserved to be one all, but just went to sleep immediately. It's just a long ball upfield. The defence are not ready for it. They just get caught underneath it. But uh, you take nothing away from Elbert. Great touch to get in. A composed finish. So, yeah, just Raysol just went to sleep. They just went to sleep and it cost them. Yes, but remarkably, 25 seconds into the second half, they were level again. And again, Savio was the creator uh, of uh, of sorts when his uh, low cross uh, across the box was pushed out by the F Marino's keeper, Jun Ichimori, but first timed into the net from six yards out by Sachiro Toshima. So, yeah, you mentioned that Raysol were, were, for the most part, good in this game, Sam, and for large parts, the better team. So were they deservedly level uh, just, uh, yeah, 30 seconds into the second half? Yeah, I thought so. I thought they were the one the team creating the better opportunities. They were causing a lot of problems for F Marinos. They couldn't really get to grips with them, Marinos. They couldn't play the way that they like to play. And I thought, yeah, generally, Racer were the better team. Again, very good work from Savio. He got a lot of joy down that right-hand side, which is a weak spot for F Marinos with Koike out long-term. And, um, oh, yeah, Matsubara, it's... The kind of legs are not quite there, I don't think. He was struggling to really keep up with the pace, and it was a good ball in. Uh, Ichimori gets a hand to it, probably should do, should should do better, but credit to Toshima for really reacting and scoring. And yeah, I thought they were in the ascendancy at that point, uh, Raisol and the better side, so fully deserving of the draw at that point. And then the visitors went in front with just under 20 minutes to go. Uh, Ichi Katayama was given an eon of uh, time to size up across in from the right, and it was uh, headed down and across Ichimori by uh, J. Roy Grot. And, uh, yes, yeah, so somehow Raisol, well, not somehow, as Sam said, they were the better team, so deservedly, but against all odds, uh, considering how uh, low they were in the table at kickoff, they uh, they went in front and uh, it looked like, as we said, they were going to hang on. Sam, three two up in the 87th minute. Um, their defender Yugo Tatsuta, who we mentioned earlier, was then shown two yellow cards basically in the space of uh, two seconds. First for bringing down Ryo Miyaichi on halfway, and then as the ball uh, the ball rolled forward. Uh, Tatsuta kicked it away. So the referee raised his yellow card for the foul on Miichi, uh, lowered it and raised it again for uh, Tatsuta kicking the ball away. So, I mean, you've you've just got to be smarter there, don't you, Tatsuta? I mean, it's something that I said to you in the green room. I don't think I've ever seen before a, a player getting um, two yellow cards in the space of, of two seconds for basically the same passage of play or the same, you know, uh, the in, uh, immediate aftermath of a first foul, then something else happening for them to be shown a second yellow. Um, yeah, you've checked and it has happened before, but um, as I said, something I hadn't seen before, but just in the situation of the game, I mean, 
yeah, you, you're on record as uh, criticising Tatsuta, um, you know, a number of times for his decision-making and his positioning, etc., etc. But in this case, he's just had an absolute brain fade. And um, well, I'm, as we'll come on to, they could, still could have won it themselves um, in uh, deep into stoppage time, Racehold. But this put them behind the eight ball with uh, just three minutes left of the 90. Yeah, it really did. I mean, I've tried, no, I haven't tried. I've been not very nice to Tatsu. I've tried to be a little bit nicer in recent weeks, but then he puts in performances like this and does things like this. It's not really easy for me to be too um, nice to him. I mean, this was really poor. The first, the touch is dreadful. Loses it in midfield, pulls his man back, and then obviously he must be thinking, oh, okay, they're going to counterattack quickly. I've got to stop this. But yeah, it's just so stupid after being yellow carded to immediately kick the ball away and get a second yellow. I mean, he only has himself to blame. It's just a complete lack of concentration, a complete lack of awareness to what he's doing. And yeah, really stupid. It gets him sent off. The only benefit is that he's not going to be available for the next game. So they might put a proper defender in and that might sort things out. But this is just absolutely stupid. And uh, it was confusing at the start because I didn't quite see, I didn't see him kick the ball away immediately once it showed they showed it live. So it gave him the two yellow card. And I thought it was a mis- case of mistaken identity that was put in because even a couple of uh, minutes before there was a, a challenge between uh, I think Katayama and Takamine both made a challenge and Katayama was the one who actually fouled his man. He'd already been booked, but the referee there gave a yellow card to uh, Takamine mistakenly and VAR did check. I'm not sure exactly their remit here and what they're allowed to do and what they're not allowed to do. But in the end, they didn't bother going back and changing it to a Katayama second yellow card. So they had got away with one uh previously there um uh Kashua, so this was coming and uh yeah just Tatsu was the uh stupid slash unfortunate one to to get that second booking and it really obviously put them behind the eight ball with them it's going to be a very difficult three minutes plus loads of added time for the VAR checks to uh hold out and uh, they weren't able to do so they were not, as uh, F. Marinos showed, uh, the killer instinct of champions, I guess you could say, when uh, Lopez headed in his second of the afternoon slash evening. It was a, a superb cross in from Kota Mizunuma and a lovely header back across Kenta Matsumoto by uh, Lopez to make it 3-3 in the 94th minute. But then on a, a weekend of um, goalkeepers going walkabout, Sam, there was uh, an incredible scene in the 96th minute when Ichimori, of course, the, the F. Marino's keeper, raced out of his box but played a an errant pass into midfield. F. Marino's losing the ball. And from inside the center circle, uh, the previously mentioned Tomoki Takamine from Kashiwa shot from a distance only to see the ball balloon up off the bar and into the arms of the retreating Ichimori, who was the most relieved man inside the Nissan Stadium, I can guarantee you of that. But, um, well, uh, as we'll come on to next, they absolutely made the most of their let-off there. But, uh, yeah, um, Takamine, a little bit less power into his uh, long-distance shot, and it would have been the uh, the travelling racehole fans uh, celebrating a uh, famous late winner with uh, with 10 men. But, uh, unfortunately, for Takamine, it wasn't to be. 
Yeah, oh, that's so unfortunate. It would have been one of the, the great moments in the journey to have scored from that far out uh, in the 96th minute, I think it was at the point at that time. And yeah, just it hits it really well. I mean, there's not much more he can do. You can't really uh, criticise him for his effort. It's a terrific strike, and he's so unfortunate that let it hit the bar, for it to hit the bar. I don't know what Ichimori is doing. It just when you're out on that far side, just clear it into touch, just get it clear instead of, I don't know what he was trying, but then he got deflected, it was just really poor, it was a terrible kick, and Raisal just so close, and it just kind of even further added to the heartbreak, they yeah, almost were within a crossbar's width of winning the game, and then to go on and lose, and you'll go on to describe the manner in which they lose now, but yeah, just another devastating moment for uh, Raisal. Yeah, just uh, you, you really feel for him. It's, um, as, as we said, new and creative ways to lose games. Of course, uh, last week it was at the death after they'd equalised in second half stoppage time against Sapporo. They then lost uh, even later on, uh, uh, yeah, to uh, to Sapporo 5-4. And this time at the 3-3, yeah, having just seen Takamine's shot come back uh, off the bar and into Ichimori's arms. Uh, if Marino's uh, pushed forward yet again, and uh, from a cutback, the previously mentioned uh, Ryo Miichi's shot uh, deflected off two racehold players, firstly Takumi Suchia and then the uh, terribly unlucky uh, Toshima, uh, the ball rolling into the net past the helpless Matsumoto, and uh, yes, for 4 3 in the 97th minute. Um, yeah, I mean, the uh, another one, Sam, where the the J-League have given the goal to Miichi, but uh, other outlets have it down as a known goal. I think um, considering what Miichi's been through injury-wise, uh, in uh, obviously since he's come back to Japan, uh, he's just come back from obviously another serious injury. So I won't get on my high horse too much about this one, but um, yes, Miichi played a key role in this winner that uh, we should say still had to survive a VAR check and indeed a referee being summoned over to the monitor check, which uh, usually means uh, uh, obviously a decision is um, likely to be overturned. But in this case, it wasn't. No, no, I was preparing a rant for it to be yeah, overturned because I don't think it should have been overturned. But firstly, yeah, great for me, Ichi. If it was, if anyone was going to score this fortunate a goal, I'm happy that it was him. I mean, it's taken so many deflections. It's so f- unfortunate for Raisal. It just kind of sums up where their luck is at the moment for that goal to be the one that finishes them off. But yeah, there was a VAR check. I think the ball the event previously right at the start of the move there's a long ball from Raisol I think it's headed clear quite comfortably by an F Marinos defender but uh, off the ball just a little bit further is uh, Grote and another defender there might be a hint of a push there might be a hint of a touch maybe but uh, that was what was being checked I don't think it has any impact on the move itself as Marinos would have cleared anyway they didn't then didn't affect the move as it carried on there was a long time before the ball eventually goes into the net and I don't think there's enough to knock Grote over either so I'm glad that the referee went over to the monitor and didn't bow into the pressure and had to change his decision he stuck with what he saw what he knew was correct and I think he made the the correct call I think he, again might be something that Razor fans are just thinking well of course that's not going to go our way either but I think the referee made the right decision all right, so after that, uh, the referee awarded the goal and the uh, F. Marino's players and, uh, most importantly, the supporters could, uh, yes, celebrate. Um, I guess what will go down as a famous 4-3 victory. Again, another one, another contender for game of the season for a neutral. Again, uh, a thrilling roller coaster 
of uh, of emotions. And uh, yeah, after F. Marinos had twice taken the lead, they then uh, fell behind and then uh, somehow. Uh, well, mainly thanks to Hugo Tatsuda, they were able to uh, somehow scrape through and, uh, yes, fashion a winner right at the death. So, um, well, they weren't to know it at the time, but having kicked off the match day level on points with the Vissel Kobe, uh, that obviously saw them go ahead in the live table. And, um, well, yes, as we said at the top, they've uh, finished the match day top of the pile as well. That's because uh, in the, uh, the one of the later games, on Saturday night, Kobe travelled to Cerezo Osaka for a Kansai derby. And in similarly incredible scenes, Sam, uh, yes, uh, Kobe have uh, succumbed to a 2-1 defeat. Um, uh, truly remarkable scenes at the Yodoko Sakura Stadium and celebrated with, uh, uh, yes, no shortage of gusto by the Cerezo players and supporters, as you would expect in a uh, highly charged occasion like a derby and um well yeah a- another remarkable uh, indication of uh, what uh, a crazy day saturday was it was i mean the rest of the game didn't quite match up to the marinos race all game but the ending certainly did and uh, happy for Kitano to have got uh, the goal as he did i think i personally would have been a bit more sheepish in celebrating this goal considering uh, the manner in which it came about but it's just uh, ridiculous goalkeeping really mike Cow- First of all, does well in terms of sweeping up and then has a long time to clear the ball upfield and then forgets to. And then in the end, <laughs> Katano's there and I, I don't know what he tries. He tries a flick with the outside of the right boot, ends up almost back heeling it into the path of Kitano. Dreadful, dreadful piece of goalkeeping. A composed finish into the, an empty net from a fair distance from Kitano. But yeah, unbelievable way to lose a game, but just... Uh, yeah, it, it had such a better season, Mike Arrow. These mistakes seem to have been a thing of the past, but yeah, when it really mattered, um, yeah, it came up with um, an all-time clanger. Yeah, so it looked like Kobe were uh, yeah going to leave uh, Cerezo's ground with a point, as uh, yeah, this incident we've been describing uh, happened in the 93rd minute. So uh, an absolutely remarkable way to win a game, especially a derby for Cerezo. Um, previously in this game, the, the the other two goals had come within the space of 90 seconds of each other early in the second half. The first was a Cerezo taking the lead five minutes after the break when uh, Kakeru Funaki's cross from deep on the left was headed in by uh, Jordi Crooks. But uh, yes, 90 seconds later, Kobe were level when they took the ball forward straight from the restart and uh, Yoshinori Muto unselfishly squared for Hotaru Yamaguchi, who spun and stroked past uh, Yang Hanbin in the uh, Cerezo net for the most instant of replies. Um, Kobe thought they'd taken a lead just past the hour through Daiju Sasaki's header from a corner, but it was disallowed straight away as uh, Mitsuki Saito was offside in front of Yang. But then, uh, yeah, um, after Muto fizzed a a low shot too close to Yang late on uh, this incident in the 93rd minute, you really should check it out, listeners. It uh, it gets better, and you see new things in it uh, every time you watch it. It's one of those where the first time I saw it, I thought my cow were tripped over the ball. But, yeah, basically, you're right, Sam. uh, He's closed down by... Kitano, and I don't know whether he thinks he's going to try a Cryf turn or uh, what he's going to do, but as you say, he basically um, gets, uh, well, yeah, he's obviously in his own head a bit too much in this one, Mike Kawa. He, um, 
uh, tries something, but ends up, yeah, backheeling it into the path of Kitano, who from 35 yards shoots into an unguarded net. And that was his first J1 goal. Um, obviously, all players remember their first. And uh, so there's there's no question that Kitano will remember that goal until the day he dies. And the uh, the scenes afterwards, um, yeah, obviously it was laid on a plate for him. But the fact it was a winner in a derby was, uh, well, obviously made it all the more special for Kitano and, uh, yeah, everyone involved with Cerezo. But I don't know, can you can you really take too much away from this game, uh, Sam? From a Kobe perspective, they were, yeah, look, they looked odds-on for a point until uh, Maikawa's rush of blood to the head. Uh, overall, yeah, as you say, it didn't uh, hit the heights of the uh, the previous game we've talked about, but um, anything too much that Mr. Yoshida will have to work on for uh, for Kobe uh, over the international break, other than uh, maybe uh, massaging Maikawa's uh, ego a little bit? <laughs> well, it's definitely has to do that, I suppose. Uh, um, I know there'll be questions about Kobe's midweek game against Barcelona and whether that was completely necessary. I don't necessarily think it made too much of a difference here. Obviously, every other team was playing, but I just put, thought I'd put that out there as a stupid thing that shouldn't have been allowed to happen and move Emperor's Cup games around. But yeah, I think mainly the credit has to go to Cerezo, who have generally been quite dull this season, but they're very well organised. And I thought, considering how, the, how Kobe have just blitzed most teams that they've played against, they've scored so many goals. Osaka and Muto have been very difficult to deal with, as with the rest of the team. I thought Cerezo's defence was very very, very good, considering they were missing out of that defence Matsuda, Jonic and Yamanaka. To, for that defence to really be very, very solid, Yang had, Yang had a couple of decent saves he had to make, but was never really, there was never a barrage they had to deal with. And in that midfield, you still got the 34-year-old legs of Shinji Kagura playing in central midfield, alongside a young uh, midfielder in Kida. I thought they did very well against what has been quite clearly the best midfield in the league of Saito and Yamaguchi. Uh, so I thought, yeah, just the organisation was very, very good from Cerezo. And it keeps them just in contact with those uh, top three places. I think a lot of the teams around them are fancier. They look, they're easier on the eye. But yes, yeah, Cerezo just keep churning out results. So uh, a lot of credit has to go to them. And uh, just the other thing from this game, no VAR, the second game this season. <laughs> VAR hasn't been there. It did turn up to the ground here, but I think he got injured in the warm-up, which is a, a really weird thing that happened. It just seemed to break down before kickoff. And Obviously, there was a little bit of controversy with that Sasaki goal that wasn't. I think even with with VAR, I think Saito would have been ruled out from offside, so it wasn't completely weird. But yeah, I don't know what's happening now. That's twice (laughs) VAR has not been working for league games, and yeah, something the Jet League needs to sort out. Right, well, maybe the J-League's trying to uh, sheepishly uh, get rid of it, uh, game by game, and uh, maybe, (laughs) I don't know, but it's... uh... Yeah, a strange, uh, very strange turn of events, especially in such a, um, yeah, a game that was so, uh, yeah, highly built up beforehand uh, for uh, for VAR to end up uh, taking the game off is, um, yeah, a little bit controversial in and of itself. But as you say, yeah, uh, the uh, all of the key decisions uh, were controversy free, I think, and so ultimately uh, all's well that ends well. But um, yes, we won't want that to become uh, too much of a pattern. But uh, yeah, you're right. Credit to uh, Cerezo and um, yeah, for Kobe, I guess they've got two weeks to uh, yeah, uh, lick their wounds before they get back into league action. And um, they still do have a game in hand on now the two teams above them. Uh, F Marino's three points clear of them and uh, Grampus 
two in uh, second place on the after winning the game that we're going to come on to next. But um, yeah, uh, so we've reached the halfway point of the season for almost all teams. And uh, in the wash up of these two games, F Marinos do sit top of the pile, Sam. Um, they have been obviously very impressive at times, uh, F Marinos, but there have been other occasions where they've had to really scrap through. Um, either you know shaky periods of games or shaky halves of games, but they they find themselves top and um, yeah where they would have expected to be at the start of the season as defending champions. They've uh, as I say they haven't had it all their own way through the first half of the year. So considering they've got the ACL to come in the second half of the season, their their workload is obviously going to uh, become um, you know a lot more congested. But um, I guess at the end of the day, where they sit, Kevin Muscat. Um, could have asked for better performances here and there, but uh, when you stack up the results, they're uh, they're I guess they're top and they're top on merit. Yeah, you have to be. I, I think the biggest credit you give them is that I don't think they've played very well at all this season, and mm. they're top of the league, and they've mm. just managed to grind out results. And that's a yeah, so champions mentality, if you will. Like they're not out of a game at all. They've got they can have that burst even if they're not playing that well. They've still got a twenty minute burst in where they'll really take a game away from an opponent or really get back into a game as they did uh, this weekend. So yeah, a lot of credit has to go to them. I think it's going to be a very difficult second half of the season. I don't think they quite have the squad that they had last year, and it's going to be a lot of travel. I think it's and you see like the main competitors at the moment are Nagoya and Kobe who don't have that at the end of the year. So I think it might work against them but they're managing to grind out victories I think yeah fair play to them I mean yeah, it's not been perfect by any means but yeah that real mentality it might give them the edge over other teams because they've been there done that and yeah so maybe that has the edge over the Nagoya and Kobe but yeah I think it's going to be a really difficult second half of the season but maybe one or two added into um, in the transfer window an extra goal scorer because if Anderson Lopez was to um, get any sort of injury. I think they're really struggling in that position, especially given how well Anderson Lopez has played this year. So, yeah, fair play to them for that first half of the season, but I think there's still a lot of work to do, and uh, I think we're in for a very interesting title and ACL race. Yeah, most definitely. So uh, they are, well, not the top two anymore, as we've said, and Nagoya are now uh, second uh, on the table. They moved above Kobe as well after their 2-1 Home win over Fukuoka on Sunday. And uh, for Avispa, the visitors, well, they changed their goalkeeper again. Uh, Masaki Murakami was back after a uh, week on the naughty step. Uh, Takumi Nagishi came in last week, but Nagishi was back to the bench. And uh, Murakami spent, uh, well, basically the first half in a running battle against Mateus Sam. Uh, first, he saved at close range from the Brazilian in the 13th minute, and then he batted away a 40-yard free kick from the same player uh, seven minutes before the break. But uh, on the stroke of half time, Mateus had his revenge from 12 yards after it took VAR and the referee an absolute eternity to decide that uh, Kasper Junker's 39th minute header had hit the arm of uh, Yota Maijima before Murakami tipped the loose ball over the bar. So uh, cue the VAR drop, and then, uh, yeah, your thoughts on that incident involving Maijima and uh, Junker, please. This week in VAR. This week in VAR. This week. 
yeah, first of all, how long does it take so long? It's just absolutely ridiculous, the length of time that this took. And it's so harsh. Um, my Jima must be no more than half a yard away from Juncker as Juncker heads it out. But the army is in a raised position. Uh, it blocks the ball going towards goal. I think it was a fairly clear-cut one, given what the handball rules are. So why it took so long, I don't know. I feel for my Jima because there's not a lot he can do about it. But I think it was a penalty. I mean, any disagreements there? Yeah, it's just one of those where the, I think the rule is wrong. But uh, yeah, um, yeah, from from that close range, there's nothing else he can do. But yeah, you're right. The the of, as I'm learning, the way the rule is written, uh, yes, by the letter of the law, uh, it's uh, it's a penalty. And I mean, yeah, Juncker himself didn't appeal for it, but you you could see other players turned around immediately, including Mateus, uh, turned around immediately to the ref and uh, hit their arm, which is of course the international signal for a, a handball penalty. So. So, um, yeah, but yeah, literally uh, six minutes, uh, Juncker's header in the 39th, Mateus's penalty hit the back of the net in the 45th. And yeah, that's just not good enough from the J-League. So, um, yeah, anyway, it sent uh, Grappus into the uh, into the sheds, uh, 1-0 to the good. But there was uh, more VAR ridiculousness 15 minutes after the break, Sam. Uh, Ryoga Sato nicking in front of Haruya Fuji inside the Nagoya box and uh, going to ground rather expansively to be uh, to be kind, I think, to Sato. Uh, the referee, with an excellent view of the incident, uh, did not give a penalty in uh, live action, but then appeared to only look at inconclusive angles presented to him by VAR. And uh, another lengthy delay that is simply not good enough, Sam. Five minutes later, Sato beat Mitch Langerak into the same corner as uh, Mateus's penalty beat Murakami uh, for Sato's first J1 goal and 1-1. What were your thoughts on this one? Well, it'll forever be my opinion, and if it takes five minutes to check something, it's not a clear and obvious error, because you should have figured that out ages ago if you've made a complete howl. I thought he'd made the right decision live. I think the problem is that he only goes to see one view, and there's one view that makes it look like there's a little bit of contact and Sato goes down. But there's the other angle where it looks like there's very little, if any, contact and Sato just throws himself to the ground. So I thought this was a harsh decision. I thought he should have kept with his original decision, but... The longer you're at that booth, I think the more and more pressure comes on the referee to change his decision. And obviously, they're only feeding him the one angle where it's says, look, look, there is touch. There is a touch. I've spotted something. And he kind of is forced to go with it. So, yeah, I thought it was a Sato absolutely makes a meal of it and wins the penalty. But I thought it was a poor decision. Well, yeah, I mean, when you look at it from the well, basically from the, the, the correct replay that looks at it over uh, the referee's shoulder. I mean, yeah, Sato appears to kick uh, Fuji himself twice, right? As he's as he's falling mm. to the floor. But um, yeah, you you can see that Fuji thinks about sticking his foot out, and and that's the I guess that's the invitation for a for, a for Sato to uh, yeah begin to. Uh, go to ground and um, yeah, it, it ends up, well, it's all well that ends well for, in, from Sato's perspective because he wins and then scores the penalty. But um, yeah, I don't think it's he's covered himself in glory necessarily. But uh, four minutes later, uh, Grampus went back in front when uh, Mateus's corner was glanced on by Fuji in the center and uh, swept into the net at the back post by an unmarked Junker. So, 
Yeah, a Grampus win at home with uh, Mateus and Juncker both getting on the score sheet. Um, I guess it doesn't get too much better for Kenta Hasegawa. Unfortunately for uh, Mitch Langerak in his defence, they were uh, unable to keep their customary clean sheet. But um, yeah, Grampus moving above uh, Kobe and up into second. Um, yeah, as you say, they along with Kobe, they they have the advantage in the second half of the season of uh, not having any ACL commitments and um, whether they will do anything to strengthen in the window or not. We'll wait and see. If uh, if you were Hasegawa and you had a shopping list, Sam, would you be messing with the the chemistry he's got at the moment? Or is there any uh, kind of area of the pitch where they could do with an extra body or two, do you think? Yeah, I think wing-back might be the one situation. They've not got too many there. Um, Izumi has been forced into that position. I don't think he's best as a wing-back. I think he could... Yeah, maybe improve that side. Obviously, they lost uh, Su- Soma. Sorry, not Suga. Soma. <laughs> they lost Soma, um, obviously, in the winter. So that was one side. Morristrup was on the other. So they still haven't really replaced him. So that's one place I would go. Maybe central midfield, you could possibly get somebody better than Takuji Yonemoto as well. So there are areas that they can improve this team. But defensively, they're very good. Let's hope for their sake they can keep Haruya Fuji at least till the end of this season because they're very solid at the back there. Nogami and Mariama are the ones that switch around, but you don't lose anything, whichever one plays there. And that front three is very, very good. they not always unleashed to their maximum capacity uh, in this Grampus team, but when they're needed, they can click and uh, they score the goals. They manage to win games for Grampus. So, yeah, not too much to deal with there, but yeah, maybe one or two tweaks, but yeah, they're always very good in Nagoya. Like, uh, these, these set pieces, the amount of times they've scored a free kick that he's flicked on at the near post and Junko or whoever at the back post sweeps in, you'd think maybe teams would get wise to it, but they keep scoring those goals. So yeah, they're looking very good in Nagoya. And um, I just want to say before we get off the, this game and we've not be, covered the referee in too much glory for his decision-making, but there was an instant where there's a fan who... There's a medical emergency in the crowd. I want to give the referee props for his quick reaction. He was so quick at identifying that, getting the Grampus medical staff over. I think players were helping them up into the stands and they sorted that situation out. But we haven't heard about how the supporter is, but the reaction of everyone was uh, top class. So I just thought I'd have to mention that for the referee. Ah, very well done, Tim. Yeah, thank you very much for that. And um, yes, I had seen uh, mention of that in the line group. So uh, yeah, we certainly send our best to to that particular fan and hope everything has worked out okay. And yes, uh, you're right to praise uh, the referee and the Grampus medical staff for their quick response there. So uh, yeah, hoping that everything has uh, turned out a-okay in that uh, situation. Uh, next, we'll move on to a couple of uh, 1-0 victories for teams in the, uh, well, the lower reaches of the, the top half of the table. Uh, but the first of them can, uh, concerns the team now down in uh, fifth spot, Sanfrecce Hiroshima. They were the victims of a uh, an old-time Kawasaki Frontale special on Sunday night at Todoroki, Sam. Uh, the only goal of the game scored uh, 10 minutes into the second half by Frontale, and it was... Uh, was scored by Yasuto Wakizaka. It uh, wouldn't have looked out of place in uh, any of uh, Frontale's title-winning seasons as they uh, swept the ball from back to front in the blink of an eye. A, a lovely passage of play and, um, yeah, a goal worthy of winning any game. Yeah, glorious goal. A free-flowing one that you do, yeah, typical, you think you typical Kawasaki goal, but one we haven't really seen all season, but it was glorious from Wakizaka. The turn in midfield, first of all, and then ball out wide to 
uh, I think went to Ian Arga and then down the channel, Damian back in, uh, came in for the injured Kobayashi midway through the first half, but uh, he gets on it, lovely back heel, wonderful finish from Wakizaka, and it was kind of vintage from Tale, it wasn't uh, just in that move, not the, the game not necessarily a Kawasaki of old, but it's a good victory against a difficult opponent, and they, they should take a lot from it, but yeah, it was really good to see Wakizaka back towards his best in this move. Yeah, most definitely. So, yeah, when you've got Wakizaka, well, Oshima winning the ball back in the first place, Sam, that will have uh, obviously warmed your heart. And then, oh, yeah, yes. you've got <laughs> you've got uh, Wakizaka, Ianaga, and as you say, yeah, Damiel back in the Kawasaki squad after two months out and, uh, yeah, called into action before the half hour was up when he had to replace uh, Yu Kobayashi, as you said. So hopefully it's not one in and one out uh, again for uh, for Frontali. Hopefully Kobayashi won't be out for for too long. But uh, yeah, Damiel playing a, a key role in that uh, in that terrific goal, as you said. Yeah, back healing into the path of Wakizaka, who uh, took the uh, the ball past the last defender with his first touch and then swept a, a terrific finish across Keisuke Osako and into the net with his second on his birthday. And, uh, yeah, what a way to celebrate your birthday. Uh, terrific stuff from Wakizaka. For Hiroshima, Sam, I don't know, a familiar story then. Um, they've uh, almost doubled the number of shots that Frontale had. Of course, that doesn't always mean everything, but uh, we've seen Hiroshima do that so many times this season, but struggle to break teams down. And on uh, Sunday night, Frontale just proved too tough a nut to crack, or was that mostly of uh, Hiroshima's own doing? Well, the shooting wasn't great. I've got it. They had, uh, was it 17 shots, but only two on target. So that says some of the story. I thought they started really well. Obviously, they almost scored inside the first two minutes with uh, Douglas Vieira, a lovely kind of improvised shot outside of the boot that just went wide. And then Kawamura, a few minutes later, tested Kami Fukumoto. So they had they started really well. They were definitely on top. But yeah, they just can't. They don't have the finishing touch. Without a proper striker, really, with the greatest respect to Douglas Vieira, and without Mitsutori behind, and Morishima's not really getting on the score sheet enough, Kawamura occasionally, but probably not often enough. They're really struggling, and they need so many chances, and Kawasaki eventually turned up in the game, maybe about 30, 35 minutes into it, and yeah, pushed them further back, Hiroshima, and uh, yeah, they didn't really then create enough chances second half, and uh, they need so many to score a goal, so... Once they were 1-0 down, it didn't, there wasn't a really that massive push from Hiroshima to get back into it. They eventually went close right at the end when Ben Khalifa had a shot save, crossed it in. There was a header, it kind of dropped off the bar, I think, in the end. And But that was really the closest they came. And I don't think either was necessarily a massively clear-cut chance there. So, yeah, just their struggles in front of goal continue it doesn't take a rocket science to figure out what they need to do um and what they need to sign up in 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 the uh transfer window and but yeah credit to Frontale. they looked better second half obviously that goal gives them confidence they moved it around quite nicely and Aga almost uh, put them 2-0 ahead with a decent curling effort so yeah it was still not the best Kawasaki we've ever seen and so still things for the both of these teams to work on but yeah I think Hiroshima's problems are easier solved than maybe the way that Frontale have been this season. Okay then so we've reached the halfway point of the season Sam and uh, we've spoken about Hiroshima's uh, struggles in front of goals and how many chances they need to to score a goal in uh, so many games 
uh, in the first half of the season um, were pretty much ad nauseum. So um, we both tipped Hiroshima for the title in our J-Preds and in our um, our J-Pred reveal podcast. Johnny Nickel had them second, so the three of us all have them uh, right up at the very top of the table. How nervous are you about that prediction as we've uh, reached the halfway point? They are seven points behind if Marty knows, um, that is obviously manageable and they don't have the ACL to contend with, as we know, after Urawa uh, won the uh, the 2022 edition of, of that competition recently. Uh, so, yeah, are you still, uh, if you were doing, if you were redoing your J-Pred, I, I'm not sure you'd have them top, but um, yeah, how much of a chance do you give them, I suppose, as we uh, we still have half of the season left to play? Yeah, they have a chance. I think their squad's still very good. I think they're only one, I don't know, it's a difficult signing to make in terms of a, a goal scorer, but they're only really one signing away. I, I wouldn't say I'm confident in them winning the league at the moment, but I think top three is definitely within their remit. And yeah, it's not over in terms of the title race. I do think Marinos look like they will drop points and have the worst schedule. So there's definitely uh, things that they, they've got, they definitely ground that they can make up there. I just think, yeah, I'm, when I predicted them top, I didn't have Mitsuto missing out about three months, mm. three, four months of the season, or however long it might be. We still, I don't think we've been given a proper time frame on it, to be honest. I know he's got some level of crucial knee ligament damage, but that could be anywhere between three and nine months, so who knows? But if he gets back, then, yeah, they've got a chance, but... Yeah, I think the title might just be beyond them this season, but it's not against the realm of possibility. I think, looking at this table... You can argue down to seventh that Kashima could still win it. You could uh, maybe Frontal if they really got together. I, I'd never put Sapporo in it because they're just so inconsistent. I don't believe they've got a run <laughs> yeah. to, to get there. But yeah, it still looks like there's a good seven, I'd say, potentially. Yeah, I, I think probably Kawasaki are out of it. But yeah, you could say Kashima up could win this league. I think it's so open. I don't think there's a clear standout team that's a head and shoulders above the rest of the league like we might have had for over the last five or six years with Frontale's dominance and F. Marinos playing as well. So yeah, it's all up for grabs. I think they can absolutely get there. But yeah, until they get that striker, then it's going to be really difficult for them. Yes, agreed. Um, but uh, yeah, they'll. I think they'll. They will be in there in the final reckoning. But uh, yeah, whether they're going to be able to find the right piece to the puzzle uh, this summer to uh, fire them up in terms of um, in terms of goals, and well, most importantly, we'll be able to hit the ground running once uh, once uh, whoever he is uh, c- comes in, and um, we'll hopefully for uh, Skibber start to contribute uh, immediately. All right, so the other one uh, nil from Sunday evening was up in Kashima where uh, Antlers hosted Shonan Belmare for whom uh, Shuto Machino hit the bar with a 20-yard free kick in the 25th minute but uh, two minutes before the break and uh, from slightly further out up the other end uh, Yuta Higuchi showed Machino how it was done he got it absolutely right his uh, free kick hitting the underside of the bar bouncing down over the line and up into the roof of the net for 1-0 um interesting Sam where the uh, the teams uh, were using a white ball in the first half and then an orange ball in the second half which was uh, yeah always a crowd pleaser, and um, well, yeah. Unfortunately for Shonan, things um, descended into farce in the last uh, ten minutes or so, and um, 
yeah, some more VAR, well, not quite controversy, but um, mishaps, or uh, I think I used the word ridiculousness earlier on, didn't I? So maybe I can use that word again. When a penalty was awarded to Antlers after uh, Diego Pichuca's drive in the 79th minute bounced off the knee of Hirokazu Ishihara and uh, hit the arm of a sliding Kazuki Oiwa, and a penalty was awarded to Antlers, um, and they had two cracks at it, Sam, but were unable to extend their lead. Song Boom Kyun twice saving Yuma Suzuki's spot kick after the uh, the first uh, attempt, um, and play went on for a minute or so before the play was stopped, and then VAR instructed the referee to have him take it again. Well, in all the nonsense in the retake, I've forgotten how stupid the initial penalty award is. It bouncing off his knee. What can Oywood do? He's yeah. trying to try and block the shot, and it just ricochets off his teammate. There's nothing he can do about it, and that is where the law is just nonsense. That's no way that should be a penalty. It's so harsh uh, on Oywood. But then, yeah, he just kind of turned it up a notch with the, the retake from the penalty, because Song is on his line. He saves it. It's given for defensive encroachment, and they showed a replay of it. And maybe someone's head is overhanging into the penalty area. Nobody's in there. Certainly not enough to cause a retake. It was just, uh, is he just trying to get Kashima to score? Has he got Suzuki in his fancy team? I just, I don't know what was going on. So that was retaken. And the second one is an even better save from Song. The other way, fantastic save. No question about encroachment in this one. He was definitely on his line that was shown in a replay afterwards. So terrific piece of goalkeeping from Song. But I just... I have no idea why that first penalty was retaken. Yeah, and uh, again, why it took uh, basically two minutes for for that decision to come down from on high. Uh, And uh, yeah, with the two players involved, Suzuki and Song having to go through it again. And yeah, Song again uh, coming out on top. So, uh, well, in the wash-up, it's a a 1-0 defeat for Belmare, despite Song's late heroics. And uh, yeah, Antlers could celebrate uh, getting back onto the winners list, and they are now nine unbeaten and up to seventh in the table. While for Shonan, yet on the flip side, they are now winless in ten uh, since match day six. They do have a game in hand, Shonan, but um, yes, they're second for bottom, uh, goal difference ahead of uh, Kashua Raisol, who are at the foot of the table at the halfway point. So uh, yeah, we've spoken about. Um, Seanan and their slide in recent episodes. I guess um, we, yeah, we have to continue to give props to to Kashima for the results they're getting. Sam, again, this was not a a vintage performance by any means, and um, Daiki Iwamasa has not turned them around performance-wise necessarily, but they have been getting results, and um, from where they've were, uh, you know, in the table after, uh, what was it, eight rounds. Um, I don't think either of us could have uh, even begin to fathom the possibility that they would be up in seventh um, at the halfway point of the season. So, um, yeah, whether they are indeed in ACL and title contention antlers, well, um, we obviously know they've got that in their DNA. So the the players certainly behind the scenes will be thinking um, that it's still on for them. But, um, yeah, we'll wait and see how consistent they can be in the second half of the year. But, uh, yeah, I, I guess uh, we, well, I have to hold my hands up and say 
um, that yeah, we we didn't see a way back for Iwamasa, did we? And the fact that um, they're uh, where they are at the halfway point of the season, uh, I guess they all deserve credit. And you don't, we don't want to shower Iwamasa with too much praise, obviously, but uh, he's played his role in that. Yeah, I, I like to think I'm fair and I'll give credit when it's due. And I think that they've turned that around quite well. They're not playing unbelievable football by any means, but the, the changes in formation, getting Suzuki back in there, they're a lot more solid now defensively. I think, yeah, it's worked. They Even in this game, I thought Shonan were the better team first half, but then Kashima really just managed to get enough control of the game. They're not going to get concede too many goals now. I think Wade has done really well coming in. I think getting rid of Shoji was a good decision, getting him out of the 11. I think they've looked a lot better at the back. I think Hayakawa has done okay. I don't think he's the greatest goalkeeper in the world, but has done fine. And then when you have those midfield options of Pituka, Sano, Higuchi, all very, very good. So, yeah, they've worked, they work hard. I think they've done a lot better in I'll credit Iwamasa for the turnaround because, yeah, as you say, it was looking, considering the end of last season, the start of this season, it was only going one way. And after that Kobe result where they got absolutely battered, you really feared the worst for Iwamasa. But they've, yeah, they've steadied the ship and they look a reasonable outfit now. And there's a platform that they can build on. They're still the good, the good enough players to play a bit better than they are and to start scoring a few more goals. But, yeah, it's been... a Decent enough turnaround, and they deserve to be up in seventh as they are now. For Shonan, this was, a, as I say, I thought they played quite well first half, but a bit like Racel, they're not necessarily getting the rub of the green in certain things. And yeah, I still really worry if Machado goes in the next couple of weeks to Europe. I think that's uh, going to be a real issue for them. But yeah, it's uh, looking difficult. And I'm going to throw a question without notice to you because uh, you mentioned the uh, J Pred earlier, and we're at the halfway stage. Look, I said Kashima may be still involved at seventh. Uh, who would be your tip at the mo- as it stands now for top of the league and for relegation? Mm. As it stands, not taking my J-Pred into consideration, you no, mean? No, forget your J-Pred. Just if you're redoing it now, who would be top and who would be bottom? Mm. Yeah, okay. I don't mind it. Mm. 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 I think if Marinos can probably handle the ACL through the end of the season, but considering where they are now and the fact that I don't think they need to do an awful lot in the summer, I would probably say that Nagoya are the best placed. And I mean, that's an easy thing to say when they're only a point off top, but um, yeah, considering how the second half of the season looks like it might shake out for them. I think they would have a more comfortable run at it than um, certainly than F Muddy knows. And, uh, I think defensively they're clearly good enough and with the at- at- attacking uh, weapons they have. And if they could, yeah, as you say, if they could add uh, another wing back in and maybe a body in midfield, then I think that would s- set them up e- extremely well. So uh, Grampus probably, and then um, put your fingers in your ears for 10 seconds, Manny. Um, I, yeah, I, I still think that Yokohama FC are probably the weakest squad uh, in the division and yeah I mean we didn't pick them to finish bottom kind of because we thought everybody else would in our JPREDs right but I think yeah the uh, probably the worst squad in the division on paper even though they've looked better dif- uh, recently and I'm fully aware uh, your camera FC supporters you, you're doing better than my team in the you know the last five table but um, yeah probably your camera FC I think are um yeah, where my money would be at the moment if um, I had to tip uh, a team to go down. So, yeah, don't mind it. Uh, I'll throw it straight back at you, Sam. 
Yeah, I was almost I was gonna say Nagoya, but I won't because um, <laughs> to see like a cop out answer, just cop being what you would do. And I think it's between them and Kobe for me. And I think Kobe have got the resources to sort out themselves defensively. They can bring in whoever they like, really. They're going to have some burning money with Iniesta departing, plenty to go. I could see them bringing Maya Yoshida back. I know it might hurt Grampus supporters if Maya Yoshida went to Kobe rather than Grampus, but I think he's more useful for Kobe. I can see him in the centre of their defence sorting that out a little bit. So I, they just have that ability, like with the season they just bought in Muto and Osaka. They can bring whoever they want, really, Japanese-wise. So I can see them doing that. I think they can. that will sort them out a little bit defensively. They've got so much in the way of attacking players. Their midfield is better than Nagoya's as well. So I would just go with Kobe. Both of them are going to benefit from the lack of ACL, which might just knock... Marinos down, although I'm not ruling them out by any means. I think they've got a very good team. But yeah, I'm going to go Kobe there to win the league. And unfortunately for Yokohama FC, I do think they're the worst squad. I, they've already, how many did they sign over the winter? Are they going to really sign the same way in the summer to really sort themselves out? They did give it a go last time they got relegated. I remember them bringing in Salo Minero and Gabriel and was it Viseu or the other one, the other Brazilian? They did throw things at it. And with one relegation place, that might be enough if they did try that. And there are still poor teams down there. You'd say Belmaro, Reisol, Kyoto, Niigata, FC Tokyo. <laughs> dragged into it. So it's not a foregone conclusion. But yeah, Yokohama FC, I'd have going down, unfortunately. Yeah, okay. Nice little tangent there. Uh, I don't mind it. And yeah, certainly had me uh, get my thinking cap on. And uh, yeah, listeners, if you have a strong feeling on uh, yeah who you think is best placed to win the title at this stage, or um, yeah, maybe a smoky for relegation, then uh, yeah, let us know in the comments where uh, yeah we're all ears all right then so uh, next we'll head to well a couple of uh, occupants of the bottom six who were cup set in the emperor's cup second round in midweek but then uh, fought back for uh, hugely important 3-1 league victories on sunday and um, yes it was quite a weekend for the kansai clubs of course we've said at the start of the episode cerezo and kobe fought out a pulsating well towards the end anyway uh, kansai derby uh, at cerezo's home stadium uh, kyoto went to niigata on Sunday, uh, licking their wounds after losing on penalties to uh, J3 Toyama in midweek. And, uh, well, yes, they rebounded with a 3-1 victory away at the Big Swan in what turned out to be uh, Albert X's uh, Rio Taro Ito's uh, final game uh, in uh, Albert X Orange before he, well, he doesn't head, uh, head straight over to uh, Europe, of course, because their season's just finished. But, yeah, his last official appearance for Albert X and unfortunately for one of the stars of the season so far, Sam, it just didn't quite go for Ito on a Sunday. He had a couple of pops from distance, but the Kyoto keeper, Tomoya Wakahara, was equal to anything that Ito and indeed his teammates, for the most part, could throw at him. Yeah, it was pretty well shut down, I thought, by Kyoto. Yes, he did get a couple of pockets of space, a couple of attempts on goal, but really they shut down the avenues for him to pass into. They shut the ball off, getting to him too, too often. I thought it was a decent defensive display from Kyoto, and Niigata really struggled. I thought defensively, they were absolutely atrocious. The three goals they conceded are appalling. I mean, the first one, I mean, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> first of all, why is it given as a... Why is VAR checking for offside when it's quite clear that Takami has cleared it the wrong way 
to Toyokawa and he was never offside in any case so that was pretty awful and then yeah Niigata didn't really um, put too much pressure on them they had a couple of moments Gomez was okay um, on the wing I think he's still lacking something without Mito without Otto in this game they were struggling for real creativity besides Ito and I think that really really showed in the game yes they got back to one all but defensively again just so poor in the manner that they concede uh, the two goals, or the, well, one of them being a penalty, but just giving the ball away from throw-ins in their own half, just passing the ball to the opposition, it was just, yeah, really, really poor, and um, that's it's a lot to worry for them. I mean, at the start of the season, and some of the performances they've put in, you think this is a really good team, this can be one of the surprise packets, be top half or whatnot, but you look at them in the last few games, last couple of months actually, and defensively, they're just so easy to get at, and yeah, for Kyoto, of all teams to score three of them, you must have put in a pretty poor display. Well, yeah, they head into the halfway point of the season, the international break, uh, winless in four, Niigata. And obviously knowing now that their main man, uh, Ito, is um, no longer going to be part of the picture. So, yeah, it should be a very interesting second half of the season at the Big Swan. Uh, but, yeah, I guess all the kudos from this game have to go to Kyoto, who came in on the back of a long winless run in the league, and they had to uh, yeah, pick themselves off the floor after uh, Niigata equalised in the 72nd minute. As Sam's mentioned, there was a, 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 the first goal of the game was from Yuta Toyokawa just before the half hour, and it was uh, finally allowed to stand after, uh, yes, the, the linesman flagged uh, Toyokawa offside for uh, yeah for some bizarre reason um, as the uh, he hammered the ball into that from close range but yes Nauto Arai's header from uh, Danilo Gomez's cross in the 72nd minute uh, restored parity for Niigata but um, yes yeah, Sam uh, if you're a Kyoto uh, supporter you have to be really proud of the response from uh, your team as I said they'd come in uh, it was uh, eight without a win and, um, yeah, they could, uh, I guess, have been uh, excused for feeling sorry for themselves after Arai's equaliser. But uh, just three minutes after that uh, goal by Arai, uh, Sanga went back in front. And, yes, they won the ball back uh, on the edge of the Niigata box. It rolled across the box and Patrick lashed it in uh, first time. The, his uh, shot squirming under Ryosuke Kojima's attempt to save and into the net. And then, uh, yeah, as you said, the second was a penalty. Uh, Patrick scored five minutes later after a pair of substitutes tangled on the edge of the box at Niigata's Yuzuru Shimada, tripping Kazunari Ichimi. So, yeah, for Chokuije, a a very, very pleasing way to go into the international break. As I said, uh, heads could have dropped after that equaliser, but it didn't take them long to uh, yeah to put them distance uh, between themselves and Niigata and ultimately run out uh, victors in a hugely significant way. Yeah, they did refocus very very quickly. They moved themselves up the pitch. They put themselves um, put Niigata under pressure. The pressing then turned up a notch and they got their rewards running the ball high. I think it's still quite poor from Niigata and I won't get away from that. And it's definitely helped. Kyoto, but yeah, that a change in mentality, that change in focus, yeah, and they got their rewards for it. Um, I think Kojima should do better for the first goal, the second goal, sorry, and I think it's a stupid tackle on Ichimi, but Kyoto were in the positions, they took advantage of it, and yeah, really good 
positive note to end the the halfway stage. Uh, they've still got a reasonable buffer to the relegation places. Obviously, that a lot comes from the way they started the season. Them and uh, for Quoker were quite high, weren't they, for a, a while. They've dropped off since then. But yeah, to get three goals away from home, it's definitely going to be a confidence booster for them. And they absolutely need it going out of the cup in the way they did to third-tier opposition. Never great for the older morale is it but uh yeah good result here uh, good response as well and uh yeah positive for them Niigata absolute opposite for them losing their best player quite clearly defending in this manner conceding goals so poorly and uh, then their form really hasn't been great either for the last couple of months so they're another one that's going to be a little bit worried I don't know how they're going to react to the Ito departure um, are they going to bring somebody in? Are they going to just re- rely on what they've got here? But I think the bigger issue is sorting out uh, their defence. So it's chop and change all season. None of them look that good. The, they've got yeah established, um, experienced heads in Chiba and Michael James Fitzgerald, who I think are past it, really. Thomas Dane can't seem to stay fit for any length of time, and there's just too many errors there. So that's the area they really need to look into and they need to bring in players there to sort themselves out because a bit like Gamba, we've mentioned all season, uh, very easy to play against, very easy to score goals against. So, yeah, plenty of work for Niigata to do. Indeed, indeed. But, uh, yeah, the uh, the plaudits from this one going uh, Sanger's way. And, indeed, uh, from the next game, we, we're going to come on to a another Kansai club rebounding after a uh, shock in midweek when uh, Gamba Osaka lost 2-1 to Kochi United of the JFL. Of course, they'd won their two previous league encounters, Gumba, uh, heading into Wednesday night. And uh, we wondered if their momentum had been halted against the fourth-tier opposition. But uh, unfortunately for uh, FC Tokyo, uh, Isam Jabali had uh, other ideas. And unfortunately for me and all Tokyo supporters, I couldn't quite reverse jinx a, uh, another typhoon into existence over the weekend. Uh, Tokyo had to make the trip down to uh, the Panasonic Stadium, and it looked like some of their uh, players wanted to be anywhere but in the middle of that stadium for uh, large parts of this game, Sam. They were not switched on at all for uh, either of uh, Jabali's goals that came in quick succession just before the half hour. He opened the scoring in the 25th minute, controlling and firing in from inside the six-yard box after Yota Sato headed down a Yuki Yamamoto corner. And then four minutes later, he doubled his fun, Jabali, when he glanced in a terrific header from Darwin's pinpoint cross uh, with a Tokyo all at sea and a terribly disorganized from a Gumba throw-in on the right. So, um, yeah, just a, a horror show from uh, from Tokyo. And indeed, Jabali could have had a first-half hat-trick, but uh, headed over three minutes before the break. So, uh, i tell you what, Sam, we mentioned earlier on about uh, Iwamasa, and we, I mean, we had him all but out the door after that um, hammering they took at home, as you mentioned, uh, against Kobe. Um, when was it? After match day eight. And, you know, I, I don't think we're um, especially tabloid. Again, listeners, you can tell us if I'm mistaken there in the in the comments. But um, a few weeks ago, we basically, uh, well, uh, along with Alan Gibson, we, we'd come to the conclusion that uh, Danny Poyatos' situation had almost become untenable at Gumba, considering the, the squad he had at his disposal and it just didn't appear he was going to be the man to turn it around. And then... Um, 
uh, it should be said, despite the fact that you, you had mentioned that they had played slightly better in in the games uh, heading up to this now uh, three-match uh, winning streak in the league. Um, but, yeah, it, it didn't appear that things were going to turn around for Poyatos. So, I don't know, maybe I need to go right in on Albert Pucci and say that I think his position is untenable because maybe uh, maybe that's the uh, the kick up the backside that Tokyo need. I don't know. But, um, yeah, Poyatos, well, he, he's been part of a, a turnaround. Again, whether it'll end up as being extensive as the one that Antlers have just uh, – you know, taken into the halfway point of the season, but a, a thoroughly deserved 3-1 victory it ended up being here after Riku Hunter's a tremendous goal on the hour made it 3-0 to Gumba, and um, yeah, it's it's part of a, a turnaround for, for Gumba in recent weeks that has finally seen them uh, actually work out some results. I mean, we've covered this league long enough to know that if we go in very strongly on anything, the exact opposite is bound to happen, because that's just <laughs> yeah. what the J-League does. Uh, it's, yeah, the curse of <laughs> talking about it every week. And I stand by pretty much everything I've said about Poyatos. I think um, the, don't think he should have been appointed. He's not done anything prior to coming to Gamba. And the way that they started this season, although there were occasions where they played well, and um, like that first two games, I thought they played well. They only got a couple of draws. And then for whatever reason, he made all those changes and got hammered against Gamba, against Kobe, sorry. And yeah, generally you can see this idea of the way he wants to play and it's quite expansive and it's just cost them defensively. They've been very, very poor. They haven't improved that. So that, yeah, it was looking at, like, when was it? It was after F Marinos when they just lost 2-0 and thought, yeah, they've just continually lost games. That team was bottom of the league. They No way that team should be bottom of the league. They've got so many good players. I mean, most teams in the league would take you, but by the hand off to have their two goalkeepers. And there's so much quality in that midfield um, their strikers yeah lots to do so I think the criticism was well worth it yes they've had three very good results they've played a little bit better going forward they've got done a bit more out of Jabali they seem to have worked out how to play with him they've made a few changes they're a little bit more solid in midfield with Usami out of that midfield Yamamoto Lavi and Dawan is now a little bit more solid in there they've put Karata um, wide yeah he's still a little bit old but maybe he works a little bit harder he's a bit more functional it's just working better going forward and they're not quite as open at the back but they are still very poor defensively they beat Niigata but they left so many chances that Niigata wasted in that game against Avispa, the amount of times that they left someone free from a corner, I mean, they got away with a 2-1, but could easily have drawn that game and lost points in this one. And this was their best performance. I think it was against, quite frankly, an abject FC Tokyo, especially in that first half. But yeah, they played really well. This is absolutely their best performance. But even so, the goal they concede is dreadful. So there are still things to work on. There are still uh, there are no real signs that he's put in any measures to sort themselves out at the back, especially from set piece. It looks like they've never done any set piece training. So yeah, I still think there are many issues with this Gamba team. But the credit does have to go to them in terms of the last few games. And for a lot of games this season, they're going forward. They're very good. Their movement is good. I think now that they've got Jabari and they've figured out how to use him, they can play the ball into him. He was very good at holding it up. They can move around off him. I think it's the, yeah, the connection is looking a lot better. And hopefully for them, this gives them more confidence. They can carry on. But I think the, the interesting game will be, and it's quite convenient this is the next game it's Iwamasa versus Poyatos after the break I think that's a real interesting test for Gamba are they able to cut through a team better defensively like 
Kashima and can they hold them out? Because I'm not sure they can. So if they go on and win that one, then maybe I'll be further on the Poyatos bandwagon. But there's still work for him to do. So I don't think he's completely convinced me and turned it around. But yeah, last three results been very good. But um, yeah, FC Tokyo, what do you you want to go on and say about this? performance? absolutely dreadful. Those first two goals... I mean, why, first of all, Jabali is given the freedom of the six-yard box from a corner, I don't know. It just completely left unmarked. And then you said people wouldn't have wanted to have travelled over to Osaka. It looked like nobody did for the throw-in. Like, he's just given so much time, Dawa. Nobody comes out to meet him. And then, but then nobody coming out to meet him, you think, OK, they must be marking the players in the box. And still Jabali gets a relatively free header, just awful for FC Tokyo and yeah maybe Pucci out and then you might turn <laughs> turn it around and be going towards the top yeah I've got to um yeah I think I've got to put a flag in the ground there and uh, as much of a, a friend of the podcast as he is um yeah uh it's uh, maybe it's time for a tough decision from the uh, from the Tokyo front office I mean yeah it's simply not good enough and um uh, three straight defeats and f- uh, winless in four heading into the halfway point of the season and the international break. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's been really, really poor. And basically in the last month or six weeks, they've really only been able to get up for the uh, the, the Frontale game at the National Stadium. And, you know, they were decent uh, at times in the, uh, the F Marinos game. But um, yeah, this was really, really ordinary. And um, he's had a season and a half now and... They're as far away from the, the bottom of the table as they are from uh, the, the team in eight, let alone the, the top. Uh, so they are uh, pretty rank at the moment, FC Tokyo. And yeah, <laughs> again, as I scrounge around for answers, um, the, the players aren't good enough. And I'm starting to wonder whether this manager will needs uh, more time or whether he's already shown us that this is as far as he's going to take this group that is... Uh, um, really, really frustrating to watch. Uh, pretty much on a week-to-week basis. There was a a few questions from uh, from Gavin that came in off of Twitter at Galazzo Gamba, but I think you've done a, a good enough job of addressing uh, the the points that Gavin made and uh, yeah, giving uh, Poyatos some praise there. But uh, while obviously still holding fire and um, still a long way to go to uh, to get Gumba up to respectability. Uh, I'm sure you can appreciate that yourself, uh, Gavin, as a, a Gumba supporter. But, yeah, three wins in a row uh, to head into the break. And, uh, yeah, there's no question that the Sundays was uh, thoroughly deserved uh, against uh, very mediocre opposition. All right, so, uh, yeah, two games left, and they were the two draws from the match day, I guess um, the well, one of the slightly surprising things from uh, the weekend, Sam, is that um, yeah, what Sapporo served up for an encore after playing uh, the game of the season away at Kashiwa last week, as we spoke about off the top of the episode. Um, I don't know, maybe it's the Tosu effect. The the third game from uh, Saturday was played uh, at the real estate agent in front of the station stadium. Uh, hat tip to Mike Innes for his, uh, yeah, for using that in the mini pod in midweek. Uh, Tosu hosted Sapporo, free flowing, free scoring Consadole, Sam, and uh, the game ended at 1-1 and a bit of a damp squid at that at the end of the day. Uh, yeah, it wasn't great. I think it was a couple of things really that hampered Sapporo. Losing uh, Ogashua fairly early on to injury, uh, he just really opens up their attack with the way that he can move around, the way he can link with them. It stops them having to play either a midfielder up front or kind of a 
tradition, more traditional, like get it up to him, play, uh, sort of King Gun Heat type or previously Jay Bothroyd. So, yeah, I think they that limits them in attack. And the other one, and this is absolutely not me searching for votes for midfielders for our uh, uh, team of the half season, but So Kawahara was unbelievable in this game. Uh, Sapporo are so good with those players, you know, the Asanos, uh, Arano, whoever it is in those attacking midfield positions. And Kawahara was everywhere. I mean, he won that midfield battle on his own. The amount of times it would look up and Sapporo would attack and Kawahara would cut it out. It was just un- unbelievable the amount of ground he covered, the amount of tackles he made. And then when he's in possession, he's so good at and setting up chances as well. I thought this was... I think he's played very well all season, but this was the best performance I've seen from him. I think it was a magnificent uh, performance from him. I think he single-handedly kind of shut up uh, Sapporo for most of this game. I just think unbelievable performance. And, yeah, he earned his team a draw because, yeah, they're not great going forward. They, uh, again, kind of broken record on the way that they play. It's not massively exciting. They got a goal through an own goal in this one. But, uh, yeah, just his performance was just magnificent. All right, yeah, so Kawahara, a uh, terrific performance from him. And, uh, well, yeah, it ended at 1-1, and uh, both of these goals were scored by uh, Toya Nakamura. He glanced uh, a header in to give Sapporo the lead two minutes before the break after uh, Hiroki Miyazawa headed back across the box. But uh, Nakamura taketh, Nakamura giveth away. Eight minutes after the restart, he nicked in front of uh, Yuji Ono to try and cut out a cross in from the left by Taichi Kikuchi, but uh, on the slide could only steer the ball past a helpless Takanori Sugano and into the net for an own goal. Uh, shortly after equalising, Tosu went close to taking the lead when uh, Ono's volley from alongside the penalty spot grazed the bar on its way over, and he did have another chance soon after that. Uh, the veteran Yuji, but uh, it wasn't to be, and uh, yes, I guess uh, Tosu happened to Sapporo on uh, Saturday night. And um, yeah, I guess any neutrals tuned into that game expecting more Sapporo fireworks. Well, yes, they were, uh, yeah, um, they were kind of quelled as uh, Sam said, by the, uh, the one man show in midfield by, uh, by so Kawahara and uh, then to the final match of the round then. And it was at Mitsuzawa on uh, Sunday and uh, for the second week in a row, Urawa have played uh, the only draw uh, goalless draw uh, of the match day. Yokohama FC nil Urawa nil. It finished uh, for the visitors. Reds uh, Tomoaki Okubo uh, his blast was pushed out for a corner at his near post by Sven de Brodersen eight minutes into the second half. And with about 20 minutes to go, Yoshio Koizumi played in Atsuki Ito, but uh, Ito couldn't quite sort his feet out to get any power behind his left foot shot. And uh, Brodersen claimed that uh, very comfortably indeed. Sam, it looked a, a combative game from the highlights, but uh, Yokohama FC were pretty much able to keep Reds at arm's length and uh, restricted them to shots from distance. Um, Reds had dominated possession and indeed uh, more than doubled uh, Yokohama FC's shot count here. But um, at the end of the day, uh, failing to make too many clear-cut chances, I don't think they can have too many complaints about leaving Mitsuzawa with just a point. No, they didn't do enough. I thought Yokohama FC set their stall out to defend and defend well, as I say, combative, and they fought very hard. They were well organised. They Reds didn't really have the creativity to do too much. They didn't pull them out of position enough. 
and seeing maybe now a bit more of the limitations of having Karaki up front or the 36-year-old. No Kante, he was not in the squad, no David Moberg, and no real like X-factor really to break down a stomach defence. I think Yokohama were generally quite comfortable. They didn't really go out and attack themselves. I think they went forward on occasion. I think Inoue had a deflected effort, just go wide, but without Ogawa, who eventually did come on off the bench. He'd missed the previous game uh, through injury, but yeah, didn't really create anything themselves, but were quite happy to sit in and take the nil-nil. They weren't ever under too much pressure, and yeah, full credit to them. They'd take that, they'd go into that game. I think nil-nil was a very good result, so yeah, they'll be happy. But yeah, Reds, I think it quite clearly shows, again, where their issues are. They need a little bit more creativity up front. They need a little bit more movement. So I think Okubo and Sekane are, like, useful players, but um, you don't really think they're going to tear a team apart. They're not going to cut anyone open. And I think you don't, you can't really rely on Kuroki at 36 to be the main man. So, yeah, things to work on there. I think there are, there's definitely rumours around looking at different sorts of players, different, I think there's, cost of an international they're looking at so yeah i think there might be a few changes in the foreign players and might be a bit of a shake-up up front um over the summer yeah all right then so um well yeah a good point for yokohama fc and it's taken them out of that uh, three-way log jam at the foot of the table of course as shonan and uh, kashi were both losing in uh, match day 17 uh, obviously both in uh, unfortunate circumstances but that's uh, that's by the by and it doesn't concern uh, yokohama fc who are now uh, third from bottom uh, on uh, on 13 points while the two teams below them have 12 and i mean yeah uh, we uh, both earlier on in the podcast um said that they're um in our opinion the uh, the, the weakest squad uh, in the division and if we were putting money on it right now we would have them uh, to go down but uh yeah that you i don't think we can um argue the fact that they have been better defensively sam in the the last month or so they obviously took their share of absolute hidings uh, earlier on in the season but they have become much harder to beat and much harder to break down in in recent games um you know the in the last month basically since they lost 3-0 at Kobe um they haven't uh, conceded more than two goals in any of their five league games so and, and obviously that includes uh, a victory at home over Kawasaki and then this draw against uh, Urawa both of those teams in the top half of the table at the midway point of the season so um, it's not all doom and gloom for Yokohama FC and again keeping in mind there's only the one relegation spot so if they can continue to remain hard to to break down then they should keep their, um, their interest in their season uh, going um, right to the end and keep their supporters' hopes alive uh, for, uh, for a long time to come, I think. Yeah, the recent kind of defensive turnaround has been pretty incredible because they are still the worst defence in the league. But yeah, they have really shut up shop a little bit. It's kind of weird that they've managed to do that with injuries. Like Boniface and Duca was there at the back. He was, he's been in for the last five games in all competitions. Obviously, Gabriel out at Kumi Nakamura. I think he's probably injured as well. I mean, although his performance in that Kobe game was pretty dreadful, so maybe maybe he's just been taken out of the firing line. But they've only got like three really established centre-backs that they're having to play, and they've gelled pretty well. They've just kind of, well, we're in this situation, we're going to have to work it out. And yeah, Yoshino, Iwataki and Mateus, not the greatest defenders on uh, on paper at least, but they've worked, they've come together and look very good. And yeah, the formation is solid enough. I think they're working with the wing-backs well decent holding midfielder so yeah it kind of cuts them 
attacking wise, but they've shut up shop pretty well and keep themselves into games, which is very important. And I think the best thing we can say about Yokohama FC is maybe after 10 games of the season, I might have relegated them. I think they're already relegated in my mind. So for them now to be off the bottom, uh, to be very much in contention to stay up, I think is a great credit to them. And uh, yeah, it's not gonna. It doesn't look like they're going to be cut adrift anytime soon, which is great because that was my fear for large parts of this first half of the season. Thinking that we're not getting the relegation battle, just Jan Harmer have gone. But yeah, good. Yeah, good changes. Good changes in formation. They're a little bit more solid, and yeah, it looks like. Yeah, it looks like they're going to compete. There's still only 13 goals, so it's never good to be the lowest scorers. I'm the team with the worst defence, so absolutely still issues there. Whether Koki Ogawa stays or not, again, I'm not sure. It might be like every Japanese player seems to be looked at by European clubs at this, this stage, so they might lose him, might be in a situation. But if they can keep him, they can look around at Shonan potentially losing their best player really down there, Kashiwa just losing, conceding goals left, right, and centre at the moment. And so there are definitely teams that they can think, they'll think, okay, we can finish above one of these. So, yeah, really good that they're still involved. And, yeah, good defensive work for in the last few games. So really good to see. Yeah, absolutely. And we don't want to look too far ahead. Obviously, we've got to the internationals to come up on uh, next week's episode and uh, as part of our team of the half season episode but uh, yeah once the uh, league play resumes and the second half of the season gets going uh, Yokohama FC travel to Kyoto and then uh, host Gumba in a consecutive match days to to begin the second half of the season so uh, they will be uh, two crunch games and um, again good tests for uh, Yokohama FC defensively and also to see um, yeah, if they can maybe capitalize on uh, some shakiness up the other end from their uh, bottom six opponents but uh, yeah as I said don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves and indeed we're not even going to look at the uh, match day 18 slate at the end of this episode because uh, yeah listeners we want to get you ready for uh, next week's episode when we will be talking about uh, the uh, Japan uh, friendlies uh, whether we'll be covering them both or not in next week's episode we're not sure we still haven't nailed down whether we'll be recording on Monday as usual or Tuesday after the uh, the second friendly is played but uh, one thing is for definite our patrons can look forward to some uh, position by position uh, polls coming uh, starting from a Tuesday afternoon and uh, yeah running right through the week until uh, basically it's time to uh, to get uh, Sam Johnny and myself together to record our uh, now annual team of the half season episode and um yeah this is the third season we've done it and uh, or something we always look forward to recording and getting out there for you listeners so we certainly hope all of our patrons are ready uh, to uh, to cast their votes and um yes we'll tally them up and then uh, obviously d- debate the uh, the big decisions uh, amongst the three of us and piece together our team of the half season. Certainly, I know that yourself and Johnny um, found it challenging to narrow down the shortlist, Sam, and it uh, does shape uh, as a really interesting team that we're going to try and piece together. So definitely some tough decisions. Well, uh, as you'd expect, uh, pretty much all over the pitch. So, um, yeah, I don't know if you if you're already prepared to plant your flag and really go into bat for a, a couple of players here or there. But, uh, yeah, we certainly have some uh, tough decisions uh, coming down the pike. 
We have. I mean, we've done this a few times now, and I think this is the most difficult one it's ever been. Just get first the shortlist, getting a formation right, <laughs> gets everyone in the right positions, and then yeah, there are some horrendous decisions that we have to make. Some really good players are going to miss out, so I really look forward to seeing how the patrons vote for it first and foremost, and then yeah, getting into the nitty gritty with it with both you and Johnny. And it'd be great to have Johnny back on the podcast. It seemed like for ages since we had it. We had a run of Johnny at the start of the season, not had him on for a while, so it'd be good to get his perspective across all the teams at this halfway stage so yeah it's always one of my favorite episodes of the year and I think next week will be no different yes indeed it got to the point where yeah I didn't want to tax Johnny too much and then yeah you look up and we haven't had him on for a couple of months have we so um yeah obviously I'm sure he'll be uh, champing at the bit to to chat about how uh, Gumba have turned around their results in the last three match days heading in to the international break and um yeah part of the uh, the wider picture of the uh, the first half of the season and uh, always interesting to get his thoughts on his side. But yeah, as we piece together this team, uh, looking at players uh, up and down the league. All right. So yeah, we'll leave it there. I think we've almost already said our goodbyes, Sam, but uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing uh, what uh, the Japan national team serve up in their friendlies uh, in the next week or so. And then, uh, well, yeah, can't wait to get cracking on the team of the half season next week. Yeah, I'd almost forgotten about the Japan national team. But yeah, is El Salvador first up on Thursday? And we might speak about the Peru game, depending on recording. So good luck to them. Good luck to the new players in there. Hopefully everyone gets their opportunity. Hopefully Kyogo Furuhashi scores a hat-trick and can't be dropped again. And uh, yeah, looking forward to next week. It's always, yeah, as I said, going to be a very good episode, hopefully. All right, then. Thanks, Sam. And uh, th- yeah, that's it for this week's episode of the JTalk podcast. Uh, thanks to all of our patrons for their ongoing support on Patreon and uh, hopefully for all the votes they're going to cast in our team of the half season polls. Uh, if you'd like to get involved before that all uh, gets going, uh, you can uh, sign up at uh, uh, patreon.com slash jtalkpod. Uh, thanks to Gavin for his questions off Twitter on uh, on Gumba. And uh, thanks to you listeners for listening wherever you are. Uh, we'll be back next week to chat about the Japan national team. And as we've said, we'll put together our J1 team of the half season. Speak to you then. Bye for now. The J Talk Podcast. Yes, 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 yes.